blink of fall here, but I have because I, I really like fall weather. But I, I had to ask, have to ask the question, how many of you ladies have gym memberships? Excellent. How many of you ladies use your gym memberships? <laughs> Not as many hands. I personally, for my exercise regimen, I really like to walk because I like to go outdoors. I like to feel the air. I like to see the sights. And I know some of you are hikers. A few of you I know uh, love to go hiking and see some beautiful sights and sounds there. And I just, I just think the difference between going to a gym and sweating in the gym versus going outside and, and just taking in God's creation and his beauty and its glory. I just find it so uplifting and so interesting and very inspiring to me to be out among his creation. Um, it makes, you know, exercise more pleasurable. It makes sweat sweeter if there is such a thing. I, I just really, really love it because his creation is beautiful. Romans 1.20 tells us that since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that we are without excuse. His creation, his creation is beautiful, it's wonder-filled, it's a, a visual display of God's power and his strength and his authority, and it speaks to God, his extraordinary greatness and the divine manifestation of his glory. Creation beautifully expresses and gives examples of the attributes that we were so blessed to learn in our lesson this week about our creator. And not just this week, but I think in all the lessons that we have forward, uh, I think we're going to be encouraged by what we learn about God and these various attributes we study. And I think we're going to be challenged you know, what our response is to those attributes, what our perspective is about God. But I think it's going to be a wonderful journey, and I just know we'll all be blessed. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you this evening in Jesus' name, Lord God, and we just, Lord, lift you up high and lifted up, Father, as the creator of our universe, of our very being, Lord, of everything that we can see, touch, smell, taste, Lord. You are the creator of it all. You are our maker, Father God. You're the Lord of hosts, our redeemer, Father. You are the God of this whole world, Lord, our creator, God. Lord, just help us to wrap our brains just around a little bit of who you are as we, as we uh, go on this journey with you this year, Lord God. With each and every lesson, Father, just reveal powerfully and mightily, Father, who you are. Lord, we thank you and we love you. And we just ask that you bless us this evening in Jesus' name. Well, ladies, we know that we started off with the creator that attribute that God alone possesses. And we started that with in the book of Genesis. And Genesis, as you may know, uh, means in the Hebrew, it means the beginning, the start, the, the, the origin. And we read chapters 1 and 2 this week of Genesis that gave us a pretty thorough account of how and what God created. And based on this, we discovered God's amazing attributes as our creator, Chapters 1, 
verses 1 through 25 and chapter 2, verse 1 through 6, detailed the creation of the universe. And we learned about the sun and the stars and the moon and the firmament and the heavens and all of those things that he put in place. And then in chapters 1, verses 26 through 31, and chapter 2, verses 7 through 25, we, we tell, it tells us about the creation of man and woman which is the beginning of the human race. So let's begin, you know, at the beginning, as they say, in Genesis 1.1. And it says that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Closing my Bible right there, ladies. We can go home. That says it all, but that sums it all up. That took two chapters, and it just put it all in one single verse. Amazing. The Bible makes no bones about God being the creator of the universe. It's not a theory. It's a doctrine. God is not vague about what, how, or who is responsible for creating time, space, manner, and mankind. Based on his amazing attribute of creator, I want us to first look at our reverence for our creator. Second, we'll look at our relationship with our creator. And then third, we'll examine our response to our creator. Reverence, relationship, and response. These are all of the things that we can see when we explore who God is as our creator. So first, our reference for our creator. This comes from his unique attribute of being the originator and the designer of everything we know and everything we are. We should have a reverence for our creator because he is so beyond our earthbound human understanding that we have no choice but to be in awe of him and to worship him as our creator. You know, sometimes, ladies, we lose uh, the sense of the holiness of God. Sometimes we forget exactly how high and lifted up God truly, truly is. But when we look at his creation, when we really examine the world around us, it's amazing. It's incredible. It's, it sometimes takes your breath away. I know sometimes when, we, when I go walking and, and with or without a companion and I look at the mountains and I look at the trees and the birds and, and I look at the God created all of this. I should be in awe. We should be in awe of all that he has done. Verse 1 says, in the beginning, not from the beginning. In other words, there was no beginning until God declared it. Because God is timeless. He is infinite with no beginning and no end. He existed before time was created and time was created by God. Lesson 8 will cover his, his uh, infinite eternity, if you will, a little bit more in detail. But I think it's important that we touch on it here. Uh, C.S. Lewis once gave the illustration that if you took a sheet of paper and you just kind of stretched it out, you know, in your mind, really, as far as that paper could go in all directions, and then you took a pencil and you made a line one inch long, that one inch line would be our lifetime would be the beginning and end of time. And I did a slide, so if they can, the media can put that up. You can see what that actually looks like. Okay, do you see that? Can you see the line? 
That's us, ladies. The line is us. The line is from birth to death, from beginning to end. Everything around that, that's God. That's his eternity. That's his infinity. That inch, that's us. How great a God do we serve? We live on that one-inch line, and God lives all around us. His eternity is everywhere in all that we do. As created beings, we live in a world of boundaries and measures. We measure things to track our progress on that timeline of life. We know our time is limited, so we measure weight, we measure distance, we measure energy, and we measure time. Isaiah reminds us just how confined our world is as compared to how vast our creator is. And he asks several rhetorical questions in Isaiah 40, verses 12. He says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure? Who weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Isaiah's trying to give us some sense as to how great God is, how vast he is as our God. Our entire lives from the beginning to the end are reflected in what we do in the very limited amount of time that we have here on earth. We look at when we're born, when we walk, when we talk, when we go to school, when we get married, when we have children and when we die. Those are the the confines of time that we live in. David says to God in Psalm 39, 5, that indeed you have made my days as hand breaths and my age is nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is but a vapor. But a vapor. I think about those e-cigarettes. Have you ever watched people smoke those e-cigarettes? And do you ever see how quickly that vapor dissipates? I mean, it barely is out of their mouth, and it's gone. It's a much shorter life than, you know, a a regular cigarette smoke. It's gone. That's our lives, ladies. It's a vapor compared to how great our God is. Our life on this earth compared to our eternal creator is nothing. God himself also gives witness to his own eternal nature, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is, the, who is to come, the Almighty, Revelation 1.8. God is the beginning and the end. And God knows the outcomes before they even happen. And he reminds us of those in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. He says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. What is time to God? It doesn't confine him and it doesn't define him. So we should be in reverence and awe of our creator. Because he created time. He made it what it is. He gave us some measurement for us to live by, but he does not live by that same rule. 
We should also have reverence for our creator and worship and adore him because he alone is worthy of the praise and the glory of having the infinite wisdom and knowledge to speak an entire universe into existence. Look at what God's wisdom says about him as our creator in Proverbs 8:23. He says, "I wisdom have been established from everlasting, from the beginning before there was ever an earth." God's wisdom was at work and within him even before he created the earth. So if our creator isn't bound by time or space, and if he doesn't need to be educated about anything because he is so wise, we have to ask ourselves, how big is our God? Do we believe he has the unlimited power and control over all the things that limit us? In Isaiah 40, God speaks to his people, Israel, to comfort and assure them of his presence and protection, even in light of an impending captivity. Verses 28 and 29 say, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God speaking to his eternal existence? The Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, speaking of his superior sovereignty, neither faints nor is weary speaking of his unending strength. His understanding is unsearchable, speaking of his limitless wisdom and knowledge. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength, speaking of his inexhaustible resources that he freely gives to encourage us. There is no God like our God. That's our theme, none like him. And that's why we can honor and revere him. He is greater. He is stronger. He is wiser, more powerful, more loving, more compassionate, more wonderful, and more than able to lend his extraordinary attributes to overcome our, our ordinary circumstances. How big is your God, ladies? Is he as big as that? Because you know what? Not only is that line representative of the time we spend here on earth, it also represents our problems, our issues, our struggles, our needs, our distresses, our anxieties. That's how big they are compared to God and his ability to meet all of those needs, to meet all of those wants, to meet all of those hurts, to heal all of those wounds. Sometimes we make God so small in our own eyes. We reduce him down to our level and and steal what we could claim as his promises. These scriptures that he gives us reminding us of how great he is are for us to be assured and to be comforted the same way he did his people Israel. He often told them of how he was going before them, how he was fighting the battles for them. Do not be afraid, he tells them, and he tells us. Are you afraid when you look at the size of our problems compared to the size of our God? I wouldn't be afraid. He can can more than overcome our problems. As the creator of all things, God is established as the author and the authority over the heavens, earth, and humanity. Our reverence for our creator is because God alone is sovereign over all we see, all we know, and all that we are. 
And just as we are commanded by the Lord to respect our earthly fathers, how much more are we to honor our heavenly father? After all, our earthly fathers have provided for us, but they've provided out of what God has created and given them. What our fathers here provide is good, but what our creator provides is best. He deserves all of our honor, glory, and praise. In the model for prayer that Jesus gave us in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, we're to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is a much higher level of respect than we're to give our earthly fathers. Hallowed means to sanctify, to set apart, to make holy, not only the name of the Lord, but the person of our creator. The Bible tells us that the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is set apart above all creation in wisdom, knowledge, power, and authority. Psalm 33, 8 says, Let the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Psalm 89, 7 says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. We need to constantly remind ourselves of that. Too often we pray and we bring our own weaknesses and feeble faith into our petitions before the Lord. We limit the God who created heaven and earth and all that is within it in our own mortal earthbound limitations. We're defeated before we even get to the amen, ladies. Can I say amen? But what if our prayers in our lives were totally surrendered in recognition and reverence of our creator God, for whom nothing is too hard or impossible for him to do? Jeremiah 32, 27 says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? What's the answer? No. What if every time we entered into prayer, we believe that he can make the impossible possible? He said that what was possible for men was not the case with God. For with God, all things are possible. The creator of the universe isn't limited by our limitations. He's glorified in them. In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10, when Paul pleaded for Jesus to release him from the torment of that thorn in the flesh, what did Jesus answer? He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul responded, he says, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. But that only comes from the power of Christ. Our creator God is looking for the opportunity to show himself strong on our behalf. He wants us to bring our needs and weaknesses to him because he can handle it and we can't. I remember once um, a coworker of mine and some, something was going on with her family. It was very unfortunate. It was a tragedy. And, and she was angry, you know, because her child was being affected. And she came into my office and because often people came into my office. And I said, well, what are you feeling right now? She says, you know, I am so angry with God. I says, you know what? 
I says, it's okay if you're angry with God, but you can't afford for him to be angry with you. We need to remember that our God is sufficient, ladies. We, we get distressed, we get anxious, we get angry when these things, that inch of misery, of suffering, enters into our lives. But God is more than sufficient. His grace is more than sufficient. He's not strong until we're on our knees, until we're weak enough to cry out, Abba, Father. We should resolve to show our reverence for our creator and to run to him so he can pour himself and his resources into our circumstances. Because if you look, his resources are unlimited. Ours are very limited. Genesis uh, 1.1 goes on to say that in the beginning, God, or actually in the Hebrew, the name is Elohim. And this is a plural, and it reveals the, the presence of the three persons of the Godhead of the creation. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all acting as one. And, and later we will study, you know, these equal attributes of God in more detail. But, you know, for, for purposes of, of our lesson this week, we need to see that each and every one of these personalities was present during creation. We're also going to be motivated to surrender our reverence for our creator because of the power that he demonstrated in creating the heavens and the earth from absolutely nothing. The rest of this, this uh, verse in Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Created in the Hebrew is bara. You may have heard that term before. And it means to create something out of nothing. This is a power that only God has. Man can't make that claim. Everything that we create comes from the raw materials that God has already created and provided for us. Isaiah 42, 5 says, Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. Isaiah 45, 18 says, For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did, who did not create it in vain, and this is the, the part I love, who formed it to be inhabited. We're not living on the moon, ladies. God created this earth for man to live in. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. We don't have the ability to create something out of nothing that's just not within us. We always have to start with something. You guys remember that, was it friendship bread? Oh, my gosh. Are you ever able to get rid of that stuff? You probably got something in some cupboard somewhere at home. But you always had to have a starter dough. You had to have something to start, you know, the process with. That's who we are as creatures. We are the created. We don't make anything on our own. Only God can do that. And out of nothing, God created this incredible beauty that is his creation that we get to enjoy. And he deserves our praise for that. 
Our reverence for our creator should come from the appreciation for the magnificent splendor that he has created out of nothing. I know many times I take the beauty for granted that God has created, and we probably all do. We get busy. You know, we're rushing here and there. You know, when I look to the mountains, I'm just trying to get my bearings. Am I going north, south, east, or west? I'm I'm not looking at it for the beauty of it all the time. Or when I look up at the sky, I'm trying to figure out, is it going to be cloudy or clear? You know, is it going to be rain? Do I need my umbrella? And the sun is just heat to me. I'm sorry. It's, it's just, it's heat. And, 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 and God created that to be appreciated. The stars, we really are so at a disadvantage, unfortunately, in large cities. You know, the city lights uh, don't give us as much of a dark background for the stars. And so sometimes we just don't really appreciate how beautiful those constellations are and how glorious it is. But, you know, when you think about God actually speaking all of these incredibly magnificent magnificent things into existence, starting with absolutely nothing, he is indeed great and worthy to be praised. The Lord is still speaking to us, ladies. He's breathing his word into us. He's giving us his life. Tozer said, A.W. Tozer said, God is not silent. It is the nature of God to speak. Are we listening? Do you hear his voice and his creation? Do you go out and do you really find an appreciation for everything that he does and has done and has created for our enjoyment? That's why we should reverence and honor the Lord. Our reverence for our creator should spring from his timeless and unending nature that oversees and overcomes our limited perspective, strength, and influence. Our reverence for our creator should reflect respect for the uniqueness of his triune personality and his inexplicable creative power, authority, and sovereignty above any God. And our reverence for our creator should compel us to re-energize our sense of wonder and gratitude for all he has created and for our enjoyment as we allow his creation to speak to us. These are the things and the reasons why we should look to God and honor him and keep him high and lifted up for the majesty of his creation. But you can look at creation as a visual to prompt us to worship God and spark a desire to know him. And then we can then realize our next point, which is our relationship with our creator. The similar qualities of God that we have open the door for our relationship with him for the purpose of fellowship and communion. God is not just our creator. He is also our perfect model, and we were created to reflect his character. The specific characteristics uh, God mirrored in his creation of man begin in Genesis chapter 1 with more details in chapter 2 in the beginning, um, verses 7 and 8 and 15 through 25. But Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 says that God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air and over the cattle over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created him 
I love this passage because it makes it clear from God's word that I am not a monkey's uncle, I'm not a monkey's aunt, and I am not a monkey's cousin. I have been created in the image of God. Why people would embrace evolution, I have no idea. But how much better it is to be created in the likeness of the living God as opposed to King Kong. I don't get it. We were made in God's image. So what does that mean? It means that we were made in the likeness of or resemblance to God. And we shouldn't take that likeness lightly. It should motivate us to be more godlike in our attitudes and behaviors. And it should cause us to want to honor his image reflected not only in ourselves but in our fellow man and dictate how we treat each other. I remember when I became a new Christian and, and I was, you know, you just suck up the word then. And I wish my brain could suck more. But I remember reading in James 3, verse 9 and it 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 said that you cannot curse man and bless god with the same tongue why because he has been made in god's own image ladies so when you feel a little funky about your husband when your kid gets on your last nerve and when that person on the freeway cuts you off they are all made in god's image We should respect that. We shouldn't just throw epitaphs at people without remembering that they were created in the image of our creator. Of course, that doesn't mean that we physically resemble God in that way uh, because the Bible teaches that God has no physical form. Jesus described God in John 4, 24, saying that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So whereas we do see from uh, in some passages of the Bible where they kind of give physical attributes to God, he really doesn't have those limbs and things like that. But for man's sake, the Bible makes it more uh, relatable for us. But it does mean that we possess certain characteristics and traits of our creator, just like we do our earthly fathers. We don't have the divine qualities of God, like being omnipotent and all-powerful or omnipresent, you know, every place, everywhere, all the time, or omniscient and being all-knowing. We don't have those attributes. But we do have a lot of other qualities that enable us to relate to God and him to us. I have another slide that kind of shows that. God gave us a personality, which means that we've been given individuality and distinctiveness. We have emotions. We are able to give and receive love and joy and, and to be angry. We have the ability to choose. And although God could never choose evil, we are always completely responsible for the choices that we make. We have rational thought, intellect, and reason. We have a sense of right and wrong and good and evil. God never chooses evil and he never chooses wrong. We sometimes do. We have the ability to communicate, and he's given us that through our language, through his word, and through prayer. We have creativity. We can create from what he has created. And we can have an appreciation for beauty. And this is the one I like the best. 
we can have a sense of humor as one of his attributes that we share. And I put that up here so that you can see, because this also reminds me of the scripture, you know, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Branches are just extensions of the vine. They duplicate many of the attributes that the vine possesses, but the vine is the anchor for all of those attributes. We have to hold on to Jesus as our anchor for all of those God-like attributes that we share so that we can stay focused, stay motivated, in the right attitude, in the right intention, in the right heart posture at all times. I love the relationship that we have to our creator in this way. It forms a connection between us and him, very different than the rest of his creation. Unlike the fish, birds, and beasts, and other living creatures, God created man to manifest certain aspects of his nature in order to have a relationship with us. We share things in common with God that no other creature can claim as part of God's design for mankind. And did you notice, in particular, as you read, ladies, over this past week, how uniquely God gave man life versus how he gave it to the rest of his creation? Whereas God spoke all of creation into existence, what did he do with man? Genesis 2, 7 says, And the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. This was a much more hands-on way of creating man. It was up close and personal. God set the tone from the very beginning for a more intimate relationship with us than any other creature on earth. God also interacted with man differently than his other creatures, indicating his care and his concern for man's well-being and happiness. God not only first loved us, he first trusted us, giving us authority over his creation. Again, another attribute that we share with our creator. He has the supreme authority, but he gave us earthly authority over his creation. We're told in Genesis 2, verses 8, 9, and 15 that God planted a garden for man to live in, providing food and for something for him to take care of. This is showing God's desire for man to enjoy and live in the beauty that he had created. And then we see how attentive God was to man in Genesis 2, verses 18 and 22. He notices that man is missing something and does something about it, observing that it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So the Lord created woman as a companion for man. He saw a need. He met it. He's still seeing our needs, ladies. He's still meeting it. He still notices when we're lonely, we're never alone. He still sees it when we are struggling. He still understands when we are grieving. God sees the need and his desire is to meet it. That's his relationship with us. That's what he formed with us. He didn't stop, though, just giving us certain traits similar to his own. He also sent his son in the flesh to live among us and to experience life with us 
so that we could have that ultimate relationship of eternal life with our creator. Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16 says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know what that always tells me when I, when I read that? It tells me God gets us. He knows who we are. He's walked some of those difficult paths that we've walked. He's felt those hurts, those betrayals, those disappointments. He gets us. That's why we can go to him. That's why these attributes are so similar to his own. Because he understands who we are. He knows how our hearts respond. Our relationship with our creator was always meant to be for time and eternity in fellowship with him, ruling and reigning in his kingdom forever. F.B. Meyer commented that God made man in his own image and nothing more surely attests to the greatness of our origin than those faculties of the soul which are capable of yearning for, conceiving, and enjoying the infinite, immortal, and the divine. God desires to be in close, intimate fellowship with us for eternity, which is why he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to repair the broken communion that resulted from the fall. Jesus Christ will one day fully consummate our relationship with our creator, just as our hearts were made to long for. Through him, we will achieve the fulfillment and perfection of all of our God-given traits to the absolute glory of our creator, Lord and Savior. This is our true destiny, ladies. It's our true purpose, the glorious perfection of our relationship with our Creator through Christ Jesus. In the meantime, we're in the process of that transformation here on earth. We're to put on the new man because we have been made new creatures in Christ. He's given us a renewed knowledge according to the image of him who created us. We have to remember that our relationship with our creator through Jesus Christ also makes us the bride of Christ. He is our bridegroom. Our ability to honor and respect him, to give and receive love, to fellowship and communicate, to have joy and to appreciate beauty. All these qualities a bride brings to her bridegroom in order to have a satisfying relationship. Jesus is coming soon for his bride, ladies. How is your relationship with Christ, our creator? We need to be prepared for his coming. He's coming soon. Our relationship with our creator reflects his character with qualities and traits that enable us to relate to God and him to us. Our relationship with our creator is unique and unlike any other creature on earth. And it demonstrates God's love, care, and concern for our well-being and happiness. And finally, our relationship with our creator is meant to prepare us for an eternity with him as Christ's bride, prepared to fulfill our role beside him as our bridegroom in adoration and perfect fulfillment of our union in Christ. And now finally, we come to our response to our creator. 
You know, you had this question in your lesson this week, I know, and the scripture references for that did point to giving God praise and worship and thanks for all he's done and all that he is. And it makes every one of our God-given traits to respond to him in the way that he desires. I think sometimes of the creativity that was used in in some of the Psalms, that praise uh, was set to music by David and others. And these are lovely expressions of God's goodness and greatness, mercy and love, and they all come from the heart and mind of God's creation. I think about the craftsmanship and the artistry of the tabernacle in the Old Testament and what a wonderful place of worship that that was in tribute to Elohim, our creator God. But the response I'd also like you to think about is how can you best truly imitate our creator? How can you be more like him in your response? What can you change? What can you improve? What can you do more of? What can you do less of? We're told in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we all are being transformed into the same image of the Lord from glory to glory. Eventually, of course, we will all be transformed into that glorified likeness of Jesus Christ. But while this transformation is happening, what can we do? And I thought of several different ways that we might be able to respond to our creator. Um, In particular, I was thinking about, uh, in her book, The Color Purple, Alice Walker wrote, and and I'm really paraphrasing here, she said that she thought it upset God if you walk by the color purple in a field somewhere and you don't notice it. I think it upsets him, too. And then I have this slide that I think we might want to do as part of our response when we see that color purple or that magnificent creation. When we see something of the beauty of God's creation before us, we should say something. We should praise the works of his hand in creating the heavens and the earth from bara, from absolutely nothing. We should sing a praise song or a prayer of thanksgiving in our heads or out loud, giving God the glory. It says, one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts, Psalms 145.4 says. Another thing that we can do is ponder what it means to be created in God's image and to rejoice in those traits that we share with our creator. We're always, you know, ladies, so very critical of ourselves, you know. Oh, well, my nose isn't right, my this isn't that, my whatever is out of whack. (laughs) Never happy with ourselves. But we were created in the image of God. David said, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. We can respond by being honest and confessing our inclination to make God smaller than our circumstances and too feeble to sustain whatever may come. We should stop assigning our weaknesses to our almighty creator. Ask God for greater faith and to see his greatness more clearly. And most importantly, we should be sharing the love and the good news of the gospel with those who don't know what an awesome creator we have. Everyone was created by God, but not everyone is a child of God. Do you proclaim the good news of his salvation to at least one person on a daily basis? I challenge you to do that. I encourage you to do so. We were created to have compassion because our God is a God of compassion. 
sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is an invitation to others to join our family, to be a part of what we were all created to be, the bride of Christ, longing for the fulfillment of his promise to sweep us off our feet and away with him in his perfection, in his kingdom, and for eternity. We've gleaned, I think, ladies, some wonderful things and insights from our attributes of our creator this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. Some of the things that we need to remember is his timeless wisdom and creative power and authority overcome our limited perspective. So we should have reverence for our creator. Our relationship with our creator reflects his character, unique from any and all other in creation and promotes fellowship and prepares us for an eternity with him in perfect fulfillment through Christ. And our response to our creator is to glorify while we occupy and testify of the wondrous works of our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you this evening, Lord God, and we just thank you that you are our creator, Lord, that you made us in your image, Father, that you've given us the attributes and the abilities, Lord, to fellowship and communicate with you, Lord God. We thank you for that, Father. We thank you that we can look to you, Father, as the author and the finisher of our faith, Lord. When our faith is weak and feeble, Lord, you are greater than our most dire circumstances, Lord. Help us to see that and acknowledge it, Lord. And Father, I would ask that there, if there's any woman here tonight who does not know you as her Lord and Savior, Father God, that she would give her heart to you tonight, Father, that she would not just be one of your creations, Lord, but she would be one of your children. I pray, Heavenly Father, for that lady who does not know you, Lord, that she will confess, repent, and turn to you, Lord, so that she will know what it is like to be swept off her feet, to be embraced, and to be with her Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.